Following a loss in Dallas, the Seahawks dropped to six and six in the season and now have officially plunged out of the final wild card spot. The pressure certainly mounting. Where do the Seahawks have to turn with five games left to go? And what do they need to do to get to the postseason? Rob and I will be discussing here on our latest edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here on our Monday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Tacoma, Washington, or where I'm currently at in northern Indiana. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week the Seahawks falling to six and six on Thursday night and unfortunately things did not go as they were hoping for the rest of the league this weekend now falling out of the playoff race we're going to discuss where the Seahawks stand in those playoff standings as well as the NFC West and the mounting pressure for the franchise with five games left to go we've got our Monday mailbag segment and of course our regular programming this week Monday musings looking at the in-depth takeaways coming out of Thursday's loss at AT AT&T Stadium. This episode is brought to you by the Game Time app. Create an account. Use the code Locked on NFL for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks fought valiantly in Dallas, but unfortunately were not able to make the plays they needed to down the stretch in a forty-one thirty-five loss to the Cowboys. The most viewed streamed game in NFL history in Dallas. So this certainly was a game. A lot of people were watching the quarterbacks were slinging the ball over the place, but in the aftermath of that defeat, Rob, the Seahawks are certainly in a difficult position now with five games left to play. They're six and six. They don't have the tiebreaker over the Rams because they lost both games against them this year. The green Bay Packers are suddenly red hot and they are in the playoffs because they have the head to head on the Rams from earlier this year. So the Seahawks are finding themselves now in the ninth spot on the outside looking in, and the schedule is not going to get any easier moving forward. No, it certainly is not. I mean, of course, you got the San Francisco 49ers and Philadelphia Eagles um, the next couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, a lot of people would already say, you know, chalk those up as losses. I think that if if Seattle plays as well um, as they did against the Dallas Cowboys, then I think that they are very very much going to be in it um, with these uh, upcoming matchups against the 49ers and the the Philadelphia Eagles. But at the same time, as you said, I mean, the Green Bay Packers are playing really good football. Um, They have the, the tiebreaker, uh, and then certainly that Los Angeles Rams, who of course is due to the, the head-to-head schedule against the Seahawks, they also are, are playing exceptional football. Really, it's going to come down to almost very similar to what we saw here just over the weekend with the college football. It's going to come down to a handful of teams only competing for a couple of spots. Right now, the Seahawks are on the outside looking in. They're going to have to catch fire here down the home stretch. Yeah, right now the Seahawks, according to the New York Times projections, have just a 22% chance of making the postseason. The reason it's that low, even though they have the same record as several of these teams as I mentioned, the Rams have both wins over the Seahawks in that head-to-head. That is a 
big feather into their cap that the Seahawks were not able to take advantage of. And Green Bay beat the Rams head-to-head, so the Packers have that advantage in this race. So the Seahawks are going to need to take care of business here. They're going to have to find a way to right the ship. And I personally think winning four out of the next five is probably what has to happen for them to make the playoffs. Can they make it with three wins or even two? It's possible, but then you're going to need a ton of help from the Green Bay Packers and the Los Angeles Rams. So right now they are certainly in a difficult position now being de facto in third place in the NFC West. And as I mentioned, the schedule not getting any easier for the Seahawks. That's where the other issue lies here. When you're looking at Seattle in these final five games, they've got to play against the 49ers on the road. They get the Eagles on Monday night football at Nashville. The Titans are not good this year, but at the same time, they've beaten some good teams this year. They are capable. They've got some experienced players. So there isn't an easy game left on the schedule for the Seahawks. The Cardinals just looked really good against the Pittsburgh Steelers and got a win. And they've got Kyler Murray back healthy. So that game in week 18 is no longer going to be uh, a cupcake for them to have to deal with. So this schedule is shaping up to be really difficult for the Seattle Seahawks to be able to make a push for the postseason. I guess you can also look at it from this perspective, Rob, though the, the C are uh, the, the 49ers. They've got the Ravens. The Rams are playing the Ravens this week. That game against the Saints, the Saints could still be in the battle for their division championship in the week NFC South. So that game's going to have some weight to it here in a few weeks. So the rest of the NFC West has several difficult games coming up on the schedule as well. That may help the Seahawks, but at the end of the day, they have put themselves in a position where it is the playoffs now for them the rest of the season. If they want to be playing beyond week 18, they've got to take care of business on their own. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. You have to win games moving forward. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm looking outside of the NFC West to, to really where, where Seattle's going to have to get some help here. You know, they're, they are not aided by the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles just got basically embarrassed by the San Francisco 49ers. And the reason why I mention that is, of course, the Dallas Cowboys are coming off the victory over Seattle. So now you have a two-headed battle um, in the NFC East division. You would rather, from a Seattle perspective, you rather one of those teams run away with the division instead is going to be a you know that's going to be a battle all the way obviously one of the teams is going to win the division the other team is going to take one of those wild card spots then you got the nfc north there where minnesota continues to play good football we know that detroit is playing good football and as we've talked about before with the green bay packers also playing uh you know very good football here in the recent weeks so they are playing with on you know, after beating the kansas city chiefs uh you know sunday night football that they are kind of humming um right now as well so it's not not so much in the NFC South has been playing terrible football basically the entire time. As you mentioned, it's, you know, the New Orleans Saints might be playing for a divisional title, but they're not going to be likely going to be somebody that could see access to worry about too much when it comes to the wild card race. But as you mentioned, the NFC West, on the other hand, where the Seahawks are going to be paying most of their attention, they there are some formidable matchups for every team in the NFC West. But what's most critical, of course, is that the Seahawks get hot themselves. They can't worry about help if they can't help themselves. Yeah, they've got to take care of business on the field. And there's a number of players. We're going to dive into this more on tomorrow's show, but there are a number of players and coaches that have more at stake than anybody with these five games left to play because – 
you and I both know, Rob, that this is a bottom line business. You need to win games. And the Seahawks came into this year with much higher expectations than a year ago after making the postseason. This was a team that some viewed as a dark horse contender. And for a while this year, it looked like they were going to be able to live up to that. But overall, it has been a season marred by inconsistency. And that's why you've got a 500 record right now. They have not been able to put everything together. So guys like Geno Smith and Shane Waldron, Clint Hurt, a number of other players, you are playing for your jobs right now beyond 2023. The Seahawks could have a very different blueprint for what they're going to do in the offseason, depending on how these next five weeks pan out. And so everybody in the fan base is hoping to see this team make the postseason. But if they're going to do it, they're going to need to have better play from their quarterback. Consistency-wise, they're going to need the defense to play a hell of a lot better than what they did against the Dallas Cowboys. And so right now the pressure is mounting you have yourself backed into a corner. You've got a number of teams in the NFC that you're competing with that have advantages now over with over you and the tiebreakers. So the best way to get to the postseason, you got to do what you got to do in the field and get your wins here with five games left to play. Coming up next, we're going to tackle your questions on our Monday mailbag. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, which is brought your way by Game Time. If you've ever been to the hunt for sports and concert tickets in the last minute, the process can be anxiety-provoking. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on the last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. If you're wanting to see the Seahawks this upcoming weekend against the 49ers, at Levi Stadium, using Game Time's awesome flash deals feature and a detailed stadium map, you can get great seats for under 85 bucks right now. It is super easy. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section in a row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Stack the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Terms apply. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to check out, we now have a 24-7 streaming channel on Locked On via YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here with 24-7 coverage of the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right. Rob, it is time to get back to our regularly scheduled programming after having a couple Thursday night games. The Seahawks will finally be returning to Sunday games this weekend against the 49ers. So we get to have our normal Monday mailbag. Plenty of questions from our valued listeners. And our first one here coming from Hack and Rob. The Robs are going to be speaking together here, I think. The Seahawks secondary looked so promising at the beginning of the year with young quarterback talent and lauded veteran safeties. You guys always have a nuanced perspective. How would you evaluate their pass coverage strength right now? League average, better, worse. Is there a path forward to making Seahawks coverage elite? 
You know, I, I think that the Seahawks secondary is among the elite uh, defensive back units in all of the NFL. That said, the statistics don't back that up. Um, you know, Seattle's defensive backfield has absolutely just been littered with penalty flags all season long. We saw uh, Jamal Adams in particular get victimized several times in this particular football game. I strongly considered focusing on Reek Woolen and, and his performance against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, there were some notable misses. I mean, the, uh, there was an ugly pass interference deep down the field, um, in which you got called early in this game. But when I really started breaking down the tape, I, I noticed some spectacular plays from Reek Wool and the way that he came up and was very, very physical in this game after there had been all kinds of questions about his ability as a tackler. Um, he, he actually broke up four different passes in this game. So uh, I, I was impressed by him. And obviously, Devin Witherspoon has been spectacular um, as a rookie this season, uh, justifying number five overall selection. I really like what Trey Brown provides as well. I have had some questions about the safety play, just the consistency of that position. I do think if Seattle had a little bit better pass rush, then their secondary would be playing that much better. But to me, this is really comes down to the fact that the NFL wants to throw the flag. They want uh, quarterbacks and wide receivers to be able to eat up coverage. That, to me, is one of the most concerning things here. This is a Seahawks team that is built around their secondary, but the rest of the NFL doesn't want it to be that way. That, to me, is the biggest reason why you were seeing Seattle secondary give up yardage in chunks this season. Yeah, the penalties on Thursday, and really, quite frankly, most of the games in recent memory, the Rams' second loss a couple weeks ago, the flags just being thrown left and right, and it feels like this Seahawks secondary is trying to make adjustments. When you watch the game film, and sometimes to their detriment, they are making adjustments, and it isn't mattering. These refs are still throwing the flag, so... As far as I'm concerned, this is still a group that I would put in the top 10, but I think you can break it into tiers, and I'll have more on this later. I think the cornerback group right now is top five. I think that this group is incredibly talented. Witherspoon's given up a few big plays the last couple of weeks, but Reek Woolen had three pass breakups in this game against the Cowboys, had a couple of nice tackles, so we get to see him rounding back into form. I think Trey Brown's been pretty solid most of the season. The safety plays you mentioned has been inconsistent, so I'd still say this is a top 10 group, but... I think that there's certainly room for them to play better, especially at the safety spot. Our next question from sundown underscore X 69 on threads with all of our frustrations on both sides of the ball, are fans discounting injuries weighing more heavily on our performance than coaching and individual critical mistakes. So I don't really think that you can turn to injuries that much with this season. I know the offensive line has been a group that's been, decimated by injuries. Abe Lucas missed most of the season before returning this week. They've had nine different starting combinations on offense, but you really look from a health standpoint, other than losing Uchenna Nuosu middle of the season, this has been a team that's been knock on wood. They've been pretty healthy for most of the year. You've had your star receivers, your quarterback's been able to weather through a few injuries and play in those games. Uh, Ken Walker, the third until a couple weeks ago had been healthy. They've had Charbonnet available. This is a team that's had some guys get banged up. That's going to happen. It's the NFL. But I don't think that you can put that much stock on injuries. I don't feel like that's been a huge reason why the Seahawks are 6-6. Six and six. More so the execution and the coaching issues. I think those are much more in the forefront than the number of games that have been missed. Whereas in recent seasons, I think you could have turned to injuries a little bit more. To this point, at least, I don't feel like that has been as big of an issue for this particular Seahawks team in 2023. Xavier 610 on threads. 
any reason why Seattle has not charged the idea of using Kenny McIntosh? He's been a healthy scratch, and despite what he did during training camp, he still has had no snaps at all. I know a lot of 12s, Rob, are really wanting to see number 25. Uh, maybe this will be the week we get to see a little bit of him because Zach Charbonnet was banged up coming out of the game on Sunday or on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, that's been a disappointment for me. I, I'm very excited to see what Kenny McIntosh can do. I, um, you know, prior to the draft and see how selecting him in the seventh round, which I think is going to prove to be a steal. I had him in among the top ten running backs in the entire uh, 2023 NFL draft class, Corbin, and there were a lot of very good ones um, in this past year. One of the strongest years I've ever seen at the running back position. Obviously, the Seahawks selected a player in Zach Charbonnet in the second round. Um, you know. I'm disappointed that the Seahawks haven't found a way to get Kenny McIntosh involved. I think that he, he would bring a different element of playmaking ability than what Zach Charbonnet provides. Zach Charbonnet is a pile driver. I mean, he is big, physical, kind of a guy between the tackles. That's his game. But he's not a slasher. He's not a guy who's going to make people miss consistently and be able to break off the, the 40, 50-yard kind of runs. That That's more Ken Walker the third's game. Now, Kenny McIntosh does not have the straight-line speed that uh, – that the, that uh, Kenneth Walker the third has, but at the same time, he does have a little bit more elusiveness um, and certainly soft hands out of the back. I just think it would give Seattle a little bit more of a one-two punch. And considering the fact that, look, I, I'm a big DJ Dallas fan. I think that he is one of those glue guys that makes plays that you don't always appreciate. But at the same time, he is among the people who I think was kind of culpable in some of the Seattle's big mistakes that ended up losing them this football game. He's had some plays on, on special teams as well, where he is not perform quite up to expectations. I think the time is now to get the young man, Kenny McIntosh, onto the field. I think that he can't hurt, honestly, uh, considering how much Seattle has struggled to have any type of consistent running game. Our next question here coming from Matt Z. Tagram on threads. Remaining five games look like we come out nine and eight, assuming we lose to San Francisco and Philly, win the other, th- other three is that enough to get a wild card spot? So I mentioned this in the first segment. I don't know that that's going to be enough. And that's kind of the bleak situation that the Seahawks are in right now. If you win the games you are supposed to win and you go three and two and get to nine and eight, yeah, that was good enough to get to the playoffs last year. And if you would have asked me this question three weeks ago, I would have said nine wins, maybe even eight and nine gets you a wild card. But the Rams and the Packers suddenly are red hot, and that has changed things with those two teams having tiebreakers over the Seahawks. So uh, if they get to 9-8 and eight and one or both of those teams get to 9-8, and eight, they're on the outside looking in most likely. So, yeah, can you get in with 3-2 and two record? Yeah, it's doable. You're going to need more help in that case. They need to win, in my opinion. They need to win four of their final five, and that means you got to find a way to win one of these next two games. And then the three games that you likely are going to be favored – to close out the season, you better win those games as you are expected to. If they have a slip up there in those final three games, it's going to be very difficult for them to get to the postseason with where things stand. And that's just reality. This team could be nine and eight like last year, but not have the benefit of having tiebreakers like they did with the Detroit Lions last season. Right now it's shaping up. They don't have that kind of help right now. And our last question here, this one is one that Rob and I are both going to be answering. Javon on X Jaden Daniels or Michael Penix as a better fit to groom behind Geno Smith. I know it's early, but 
These are two of your four Heisman finalists. So I thought this was a perfect question to answer on today's show. Well, and, and it's a fun question. I think we're all looking ahead to, uh, you know, just the talent that's out there. You know, I mean, give the University of Washington Huskies and Michael Penix um, an awful lot of credit for just a scintillating performance a night after, uh, you know, what was largely a scintillating performance from the, from the Seattle Seahawks, even though obviously they wound up losing. You know, in my opinion, if the Seahawks were going to stay with what they have right now, Shane Waldron as the play caller, then I don't think that this is a, an offense that is really catered to a running quarterback. And that's where Jaden Daniels is special. I mean, his ability to make people miss is unbelievable. He doesn't have the elite straight line speed of a Cam Newton or a Kyler Murray, but my goodness, is he elusive. Uh, he just has eyes in the back of his head. He's a good passer downfield, but there is nobody, in my opinion, who is a more accurate deep ball passer than Michael Penix. Uh, Michael Penix, and, and so that's why I do believe that Michael Penix actually would be a better fit in Shane Waldron's offense. I don't necessarily believe that Penix is going to be drafted um, as early. I think that the, his age, the, the durability concerns that some have, that might push him down a little bit more. Um, Jaden Daniels is a pretty dynamic talent. There's a lot of people who really love his game. Game, but I do think that they are basically different as you possibly can get at the quarterback position. And again, the way that Pete Carroll has always prioritized the downfield passing rather than having a quarterback basically be competing with your running back to be your running leader. I think that the Seahawks would be focusing more on traditional pocket passers, traditional downfield throwers. Again, Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, Drake May. Um, those are the passers I think that the Seahawks are going to be focusing on rather than a run first type of a throw like a Jaden Downs at LSU. Yeah, I'm a big fan of both of these guys. Daniels has moved up my list, and I watched him play at Arizona State at the beginning of his college career, and I didn't necessarily see an NFL quarterback at that point. But this is why you evaluate guys over the course of their college career because the athletic traits were always there. But it feels like he has taken a big step with his ability to throw the ball downfield, playing at LSU the last couple of seasons. 50 total touchdowns this year. I think that Jaden Daniels has the higher ceiling of these two players, but I think if you're looking for somebody that is going to be somebody you can groom for this offense, as you mentioned, Michael Penix has more of the traits that are going to be comparable to what Geno Smith brings your offense. And he does have that deep ball prowess. He is athletic, not as athletic as Daniels, but he has the ability to move the pocket. He could scramble, can do some things with his legs, and he brings great leadership. From what I've seen with Jaden Daniels, that is an area where he has improved too. But early in his career, that was something that I had as a question mark with him as well. So I think from an upside standpoint, I think Daniels gets picked first of these two guys because I think that his athletic skills and his upside that's going to intrigue teams but as far as fit for the Seahawks I think Michael Penix and I would agree with you I think it has to do with his strengths in what Pete Carroll's offensive coordinators have done there's been a universal want to throw the ball downfield Michael Penix is one of the best if not the best deep ball thrower in this entire draft class so he would be the better fit in my opinion between those two guys Coming up next, we're going to dish out our Monday musings, our in-depth takeaways coming out of Thursday's loss to the Dallas Cowboys. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, which is brought your way by BetterHelp. 
Life can be full of twists and turns and throw a few wrenches at you when you least expect it. So it's important to show yourself through it all and put a focus on your mental health. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me when I was battling depression earlier in my professional career, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online and available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. And BetterHelp has an offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash on. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget, tomorrow we will have our Tell the Truth Tuesday segment. We'll be taking a second look at the 49ers. Second time they face the Seahawks in three weeks. We'll be looking back at that butt whooping that they just gave the Philadelphia Eagles as well. Going to be a jam-packed episode. Make sure that you are listening in. The Seahawks fell to 6-6 and against the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday. Again, they were ahead for a good chunk of the evening, but they couldn't find a way to finish falling 41-35. to High-scoring, thrilling affair. Rob, it's a little different than the previous game against the 49ers and blowout loss to the Ravens, those games where it was just so hard to find positives. The Seahawks played really well on offense for most of this game, and there were some good plays on defense. They just couldn't find a way to get off the field, and and penalties were certainly a big part of it. But this was a game where it really felt like both teams played really well, and in the end, the Seahawks just couldn't make those couple plays they needed to make down the stretch on offense and defense. And that's the difference between being a 500 team and being a 9-3 and team like the Dallas Cowboys are, where you're considered a contender in the NFC. Sure. And playing at home. Uh, I think that, that you can sometimes get the benefit of some of the calls. Um, I, but I thought that they, it just showed how, how, uh, how similarly talented these two teams are. And, you know, that, that kind of leads into my, my very first point here that I thought that it was exquisite play at the quarterback position. Um, you know, Dak Prescott is getting some MVP talk right now. And I understand that. I think that he absolutely deserves that MVP conversation. Um, but at the, at the same time, I thought that Geno Smith based Actually matched him play for play. I thought he was absolutely spectacular in this game. And if you, all you do is look at the statistics, I mean, Geno Smith, 334 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, also ran for a touchdown. Dak Prescott, 299 passing yards, also threw three touchdowns, did not throw an interception. Geno Smith did, of course. And you could argue that that may have wound up being the, the, the difference in this football game is that one turnover. If Seattle had been able to create any type of turnovers um, of the Dallas Cowboys, then, you know, Know, maybe this is a whole different football game. I, I wanted to specifically talk about some of Geno Smith's throws, though. I, I just thought that the, the the ball placement was absolutely exquisite. It, the, the, the touchdown to DK Metcalf, basically to start the game, I mean, that was as perfectly placed as you're ever going to see a 
hotly thrown pass. I mean, it basically is a deep post, deep slant, whatever you want to call the route. But anybody who saw it knows how close in coverage the Dallas defender was. It was on third and long, and Geno Smith just threw an absolute strike where they hit TK Metcalf and Stroud. And as we all know, and now the NFL knows with the fastest, uh, you know, in terms of miles per hour, fastest time that we saw recorded by any player all season long, 22.23 miles per hour to be exact, uh, DK Metcalf just raced away. And a large part of that is because, again, Geno Smith put that ball on him. Uh, the next big play I was going to mention just real quick is that, you know, when, when uh, Geno Smith lobbed a ball over the top to DK Metcalf for another exquisite play, the, the throw to Noah Fant, for, for, again, showing the great time that he showed with DK Metcalf before the one that the NFL said that uh, that Jay Jackson Smith and Jigba dropped in the end zone uh, again another exquisite throw showing great touch whether it was touch whether it was passes requiring velocity whether Geno Smith had to step up into the pocket or drift back I thought the accuracy the courage uh, to kind of step into some of those throws I thought was about as good as we have seen Geno Smith all year long and that to me was one of the most reassuring things of why I do think the Seahawks can get themselves on a little bit of a run here to end the season and get back into the playoffs. Well, one of the reasons that I think the Seahawks can get in a run and what they did offensively on Thursday night is something that can translate is the return of Abraham Lucas. Now, if you look at the grades from Pro Football Focus, you would think that Abraham Lucas had a terrible game because he was one of their worst graded players. You go back and you watch the film, though, this guy was playing outstanding football from start to finish, and they rotated Jason Peters in with him. That was the plan the entire time. They were not going to just chuck him into the lineup and have him play 100% of the snaps. But that first touchdown that Geno Smith had to DK Metcalf, he is not going to be able to step up in the pocket and then throw that football if Abraham Lucas doesn't stonewall the pass rusher across from him. There were a couple other big pass plays in this game where Lucas had his pass rusher on lockdown. I apologize to our listeners if you hear somebody yelling in the background. I'm at my parents' house, and my dad's watching the Purdue Boilermakers. So he's he's excited to watch the basketball game. But anyway, uh, but when you watch the play of Abraham Lucas in this football game, I thought he gave the run game a lift as well. He was moving guys. He had two pancakes by my charting as well. So he brought that physicality, that tenacity that's been missing from this offensive line. And so you can look at all the splash plays by Metcalf, Geno Smith passing. You could look at some of the nice plays Charbonnet out of the backfield. What's one thing in common with all those? They had time to make those plays because Abraham Lucas was making his block. So that was a huge difference maker for them. And having him back in the lineup, hopefully for the rest of the season, that is going to be a difference maker that maybe can get this offense to be consistently on track and give them a chance to put up some significant points here in the last five games. Yeah, and to your point, Corbin, the Seahawks' very first play from scrimmage. I mean, Dallas Cowboys, of course, get the ball, and they march right down the field. I thought Seattle was fortunate to, to limit them to a field goal. But once the Seahawks got the ball back, the very first play, they get, it was a handoff to Zach Charbonnet to the right. And, uh, and and Abraham Lucas made a nice block on that play. He made a nice block on several plays in the running game and passing game. Um, but again, I, I'm just going to gush about Geno Smith and DK Metcalf here for a moment. This was, this was one of the primary 
primary matchups that we talked about that we really thought that the Seahawks were going to try to attack Deron Bland. Look, I, I again, just like I wanted to recognize Dak Prescott before, I, I wanted to recognize Deron Bland for the incredible season that he is having. Believe me, I know Deron Bland's game. Um, he played at Fresno State. You mentioned you mentioned before your, your dad passionately watching the Purdue Bowlemakers. My wife is a passionate Fresno State graduate, so I watched the Fresno State Bulldogs, uh, not only because of that, but because they play in the Mountain West Conference, which is one of the teams that I'm contracted to evaluate for the BC Lions. So I watched Jerome Bland last several years. He's a second-year player coming out of Fresno State, as I mentioned, fifth-round pick. And I know that he is a very good, scrappy, ball hawk of a player, but he doesn't have the speed to run with DK Metcalf. And that's why we thought that the Seahawks might try to target him at times. And kudos to Seattle for being aggressive, for going right at him. Uh, and again, the 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 22.23 miles per hour play in which DK Metcalf broke away for that that deep 73-yard play, the longest play from uh from a passing attack um from the Seahawks all season long, um, you know, was an unbelievable play. But but so was the catch down the sideline, as I mentioned before, where you know, Geno Smith just dropped the ball in the bucket. And I love the fact that DK Metcalf, as big and strong as he is, he is also showing some of the finer um, traits of, of a wide receiver as well. The very late hands. He didn't give away that the ball was coming down. He kept his hands tight as he was running his route. And at the very last split second, then puts his hands up, snatches the ball, and, and falls down to the turf. I mean, that is the, the intricacy that uh, that you can see of the great wide receivers, not just the good wide receivers. And speaking of great wide receivers again give some credit to dallas cowboys cd lamb his touchdown uh at least the very first one that he is running one way then turns back the other way shows incredible body control it was just to me from a football evaluation standpoint i know that seahawks fans just all they care about is getting victories but from a football perspective corbin it was beautiful to watch terrific quarterback play terrific wide receiver play and then to see it in different ways that to me was one of the most enjoyable things i thought it was the most enjoyable football game from a neutral perspective the most enjoyable football game all season long i'm not at all surprised to hear that uh the amazon is the highest uh you know most watched Amazon game um, of its existence at this point, because truly in a lot of different ways, Dallas Cowboys and Seahawks, Seahawks did deliver on Amazon prime. I hate to end the show on a negative note, but that's what I'm going to do. I'll take the baton for that because when you lose, uh, there's always going to be things you can point at for why you were not able to win the game. And for me, you have to look at the defense. You gave up 41 points. And I think that some of the penalties that were called in this game were inexcusable. They shouldn't have been called. I thought the officiating for both sides, quite frankly, was not good. Just let the guys play. But the excuses are running out for the high price safeties for the Seattle Seahawks. And you're just, you're not getting the plays. You're not getting the impact plays. Jamal Adams, I had down with four missed tackles in this game. You cannot be whiffing like that. Tony Pollard's touchdown, he like jumped outside and took himself out of the play. There were a couple other times that he dove for feet and came up completely empty just with pellets off the turf going into his face mask. He gave up a touchdown to win the game for the Cowboys where it looked like he had no idea where he was in coverage. That's just what it looks like on the All-22. It looks like he does not know that the ball is coming there. 
doesn't seem like he's aware of what's going on. And Quandry Diggs missed three tackles in this game. Now, he could have had an interception, but it was a free play, unfortunately, so it didn't count. It, Quandry Diggs, to me, is not playing poor football necessarily, but he's not making the game-changing plays that you're expecting from a guy that's a top-10 paid safety. And Jamal Adams certainly in this game did not play anywhere close to the money that they are paying him. So this defense needs those two guys in the next five weeks. They've got to play up to their capabilities or this defense is going to have limitations. Those guys are big money players. They need to play like big money players out there for the Seahawks. And so Clint Hurts got to find ways to get to them going. And I think Clint Hurts feeling that pressure a little bit here with the way that his defense has regressed here the last few weeks. This is a team that needs those safeties to play well, though, for this defense to truly be clicking on all cylinders. They'll be looking to get that started in their rematch against the 49ers on Sunday. As always, you can follow me on threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob on X at Rob Rang. Don't forget to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, it's our latest Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll be dishing out our final words of wisdom coming out of Thursday's loss in Dallas and looking towards this upcoming NFC West rematch in Santa Clara against the 49ers. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, and thanks for listening in. Go Hawks!